I don't know, some people look outside and see the snow and that's it. They're not going anywhere. We have a couple that comes from Montpelier in the first service, and uh, they were here this morning. They braved the snow. Then we have a couple that lives right down the street right here, within walking distance. They couldn't make it because it snowed. It's all about attitude, everybody. It's all about attitude. All right. I told a guy one time, this is years ago, you know, and I've never said this again just because I felt like I hurt this guy's feelings, but he didn't come to church one night, and I said, we were just talking, and he said, yeah, I didn't come because of the weather. I said, you went to a basketball game, right? Yes, I would have, he said. So anyway, snow's funny thing, really is. If we were in Atlanta right now, the city would be shut down. Nobody would be doing anything. So you never know what's going to happen with the snow and the weather and all that. We just do the best we can, of course. Um, That passage of Scripture that Nina just read to us is Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 parallels the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, which we're going to turn to in a little bit and go through. It's actually the psalm that uh, Martin Luther got the inspiration for the hymn A mighty fortress is our God. Has anybody ever heard that? A mighty fortress is our God. used to be really popular. Um, But that's where he got the inspiration because he looked at the Father God as his refuge, as his fortress, as well we should. The Korathites or Korites, however you want to say that, wrote that song. And they were part of the praise group that went out before the armies of Judah in the story of Jehoshaphat really powerful stuff. So my objective today, you guys, is to really get you to a place where your attitude is, you know, we're not going to fix everybody's attitude in here, but at least get you some sight into where you need to be and where God wants you to go with your attitude. Because attitude is really the key to walking with God consistently. It's about your attitude. It's a, Joyce Meyer always used to say, your attitude is just your thought life turned inside out. Because we can see pretty much your attitude. Did you guys know your attitude is visible? How many of you know teenagers' attitudes are really visible? Yeah, you can see it, right? And some kids, you just kind of get ticked off because of the attitude. It's like, change your attitude. What are we saying? Change the way you look. Change the way you're thinking. Because that's going to lead you nowhere. You know, I coach wrestling, and we got attitude problems sometimes. And it really bothers me. Because wrestling is a tough sport. I mean, it's tough. And you're not in there to have fun. I mean, you can't be. And so the attitudes start to sink sometimes. And I'm like, change your attitude, dude. Change it. Right? And I get in some of the wrestlers' faces. I'm probably the worst one of the coaches. Because I just hate bad attitudes. It leads you nowhere. It does not help you. It does not help your situation. It doesn't help your circumstances. Let me say this too. Your life should not be guided by your circumstances. It should be guided by your attitude, by the way you think. Now the scripture says we have a self-controlled mind. The Bible says, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a self-controlled mind. You can control the way you think. Satan and the culture, too, wants you to believe you can't control the way you think, and that is simply not true. The Bible teaches the opposite. 
You can control the way you think. The very best leaders I've ever seen are the ones who learn to control the way they think. They don't listen to themselves. They speak to themselves. That's profound right there, by the way. That's not original to me, though. But anyway, God wants us to have a good attitude. So I had this thing rolling around in me, and I shared it with with my wife, and I shared it first service. Just this thing that's been in my spirit, kind of just rolling around. Have you ever had that for probably two or three months? And I was thinking about attitude, because attitude really does dictate the quality of your life. Your circumstances can be really bad, and your attitude can be good, and you can live a joyful life. It's not based on your circumstances. We're not trained to do that anymore. In our culture, it's, a, it's like if it feels good, do it kind of deal, and everything is about feelings. And No one teaches you to train your mind, train yourself to have a good attitude. It just doesn't happen, right? So anyway, I just had this milling around in my mind, and it would probably make a really good book. But it's about attitude. And there are six types of attitude that I've seen, and I'm just... I'm going to give you my definitions. Some of them I looked up a little bit in, in dictionaries and stuff or, and tried to find out a little bit more about them. But this is just my thinking. And as you know, after you've been around, I've been around 61 years, you sort of just kind of stumble up on some knowledge. You know what I mean? After a while, you start to gather up knowledge. You kind of can read people better and all that stuff. This is just... Uh, an accumulation, if you will, of those kinds of things. So I have six of these real quickly. I'm just going to go through them so you know where we're coming from. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to identify where you are in this continuum, if you want to call it that. And I want to say this. There is hope for anyone in the room. There's hope for you and your attitude. It can be changed. Some of them are harder to change than others, but it can be changed. Now, I'm going to bring this about in in the story of Jehoshaphat because you need to see his attitude and how he approached what happened to him in, in the nation of Judah. You need to see that because I want you to take what he did into your own life. Amen? And, and apply it to your life. Make your life different. Make your thinking different. Make your joy level different. Your rejoicing different. Because what he did and what we should do is we should make praise and worship. Well, there's a whole lot of them, but praise and worship is part of it. What we've done in the American church, which is really unfortunate, is we've made praise and worship a, an event rather than a lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with the events that we have, like coming to church. This is an event. But if you base your whole Christian life on this event, you will fail miserably. You have to base your life on the Word of God when things are not going well, when you're not around other believers, when you're struggling at work, when your marriage is in crisis. Are you with me? And if you don't do that and everything you get is from this little meeting we have, you're going to be in trouble, big trouble. So it has to become a lifestyle. Praise and worship is a lifestyle, not an event. It's great that we have guitars and drums and a bass and vocalists. and all. I'm, I'm glad we do. It's good. You just can't base your life on this. 
You can participate in it, but you can't base your life on it. So where do we go with this? I'm going to tell you about the attitude thing. Let me read this scripture to you before I do that. This is in Habakkuk chapter 3. And just listen to the, to the uh, flow of this and how this kind of works out. This is what he says, Habakkuk says this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flocks may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... So he gives a whole scenario of bad things that are happening. No production, nothing working, nothing's working. What do you do? Yet... He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I will joy. I will rejoice. I, whatever's going on around me, I'm going to keep a smile on my face. Now see, the way praise is set up in the Scripture, the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to know the will of God for your life today? I can give it to you. In everything give thanks. In everything, give thanks. I don't care what your situation is. In everything, give thanks. Praise and worship is set up like this. You praise before the trial, during the trial, after the trial. Not just in the trial, or not just after you won the victory, before, during, after. In everything, all the time. I will rejoice, regardless of the circumstances. You want to live a victorious life? That's how you do it. You keep your focus on the right thing. And the right thing is, you know, or you should know, that God can get you from point A to point B, and there might be all this turmoil in the middle, yet I will rejoice. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now here's the dirty little secret, you guys. The dirty little secret is you have joy already in you if you're a Christian. The Bible calls that a fruit of the Spirit, which you have. How many have a spirit? About a third of you. Thank you, Jesus. So you people with, with spirits, pray for the ones that don't have a spirit. All right? The Bible says we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. We have those things in us. It's a matter of letting those things loose. You have the capacity to have joy and for that to register on your face in any circumstance. Are you with me, you guys? So though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there'll be no fruit on the vines. That has nothing to do with my joy level, but it has to do with our joy level, doesn't it? We have to just admit, we don't do very well at this. We're not very good at it. I have to say, I'm not very good at it. You know, it's something I have to really work at. Well, we'll see how Jehoshaphat did that. Let me read the rest of this. Yes, I will rejoice, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, which again parallels with Psalm 46. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's the one I run to. He's the wall I hide behind. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So what do we trust in? We trust in the Lord our God, not chariots and horses. The Lord is my strength. 
He will make my feet like hind's feet. That means I can climb any mountain. Hind is a, a deer. He makes my feet like hind's feet, like feet that can be planted and climb any mountain. I can get up over anything with his strength. And he will make me walk on my high places. So the attitude is, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's going on, I have the capability to worship. And all of us have pain in, you know, in common. All of us have been through really nasty things. Marriage things or death things or, you know, uh, financial things, relational things. I mean, all of us have had those pains in some degree or another, some more, some less. But the Bible speaks about if someone hurts, everybody hurts with them. That's what the church is about. We rally together and we get people above that and help them to get through things and all that kind of stuff. All of us have that. And all of us have to, as an act of our will, at times, say, I will rejoice. I will joy in the God of my salvation. In fact, you'll see this here, but the Scripture says that God inhabits the praises of His people. If you want God on the scene, you know how you get Him there? (laughs) Praise Him. He shows up. He inhabits the praises of His people. So these are the attitudes. Number one, a fatalist. I saw you had those up there, you guys. Sorry, the first one. A fatalist, this is a bad attitude. A fatalist is someone who believes you are powerless and a victim. They're a victim. Not able to change your circumstances. But you know something? Everybody's circumstances will change. Amen. This is a really bad place to be. So if you're there, you need to work yourself out, work yourself up. Number two is a pessimist. This is where almost everybody lands, seems like. They're pessimistic. A pessimist is just someone who generally is negative. They they think negative at first. The very first thought is a negative thought. Now, they can work their way out of it, and I've seen pessimists do that. They get redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. Get saved. Number three is a realist. You know what a realist is? It's just a pessimist in denial. (laughs) That's all it is. Someone that, there's just somebody that wants permission to be negative. So I have had people say this to me all the time. Gosh, you know, Pastor Tim, I'm just a realist. No, you're not. You just want to be negative and you want my permission. You're not going to get my permission. Nothing good ever came from negative thoughts. Nothing. Okay, so a realist. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, you guys, there are facts in your life that are negative, right? There are facts that are negative, and those are the facts. But the truth is, which is higher than fact, is God gives us the capacity to rejoice our way through all of the negatives. Is that the truth or not? Yet I will rejoice. Yet I will joy even though all this stuff is happening so that takes me to the next one and that's optimist an optimist is someone who is generally positive and they think the best at first like they just you know it's my my mom is like that she's just optimistic and she thinks the best at first then this is the one you want to be okay number five 
And that's a believer. A believer in the word. Everybody say believer. believer. A believer says things like, what does the word say? I know that that fact is there and I cannot deny it. You can't deny facts, you guys. You won't get anywhere if you try to deny facts. But you can see the fact and apply the truth. And that's what a word person does. That's what a believer does. They see the facts. They say, what does the word say about this? And I'm teaching a, a small group on Wednesday night. And we're talking about what does the word say. That's the name of the small group. And I'm trying to get across the one truth I want people to get, and I'd really like you to get it today, is what does the Word say? When anything hits you, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? And not try to strategize ahead of time or anything like that. What does the Word say? Start with the Word. Number six is a Pollyanna. Remember Pollyanna? That's someone that doesn't even live in reality. And then they deny the truth all the time. They deny facts all the time. You can't live there. Because you can't, uh, if, you don't, if you don't recognize facts, you can't even change things. You're stuck. Because the facts will keep you in bondage if you don't recognize them and apply something to them. You have to apply something to them. So, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, I put in my notes. That kind of Pollyanna attitude. So, where you want to land as believers, I believe that's why you're here. You want to land on what does the Word of God say? What does the Bible say? This is happening in my life, but what does the Bible say? Are you with me, you guys? So, let's turn over to 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, if you have your Bible. See, we used to, we used to everybody carried a Bible to church. Now almost nobody does. Every, you know, people have, yeah, Arlen's got his. People have their phone, and I have like 20 translations just on my phone. If you have version, I don't know how many translations there are. Lots and lots and lots of them. So we kind of switched somewhat to electronics, you know. And I would advise you to, to do that. You know, get, it, get version on your, on your phone or in your iPad or whatever the case is. Listen to the Word sometimes because you can get an audio version. And, and hear what the Word says. You can't, if you're in ignorance, you can't do anything. The, the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because we don't know what the Word says. So when we were uptown particularly, I used to have people hold up their Bible. We'd hold it up and we'd say this. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. It has the ability mixed with faith to change my life. I will be changed today. I have what it says I have. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. From this day forward, I will never be the same. Never, never, never. We always said that, never, never, never. I don't know why. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And we made that confession of our faith because the Word of God has the power to change your life. Absolutely. I ask people all the time, people say, oh, I, can't, I can't help it, I can't, you know, I can't help how I think. I can't help blah, 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 blah. Is the word more powerful than the way you think? Really? You think your thinking is more powerful than the word of God? That's kind of elevating your thought life a little too high, don't you think? How many love the preacher? 
Just seeing if you're staying with me. So this happened with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And the guys that wrote Psalm 46 were the praisers in this story. So you'll see they were appointed to get out in front of the army and praise God. They were in front of the armies of Judah. All right, let's see how this all comes down in 2 Chronicles 20. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to skip around just a little bit just because of time. But it says in verse 1, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Like I said, Jehoshaphat was the, the kingdom had split, and I don't want to talk all about that, but uh, Judah was part of the split, and, and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, okay? So it says, after these guys declared war, a great multitude were coming at them. The, the odds were absolutely overwhelming. There was no way that Judah could win. There were too many of these other guys. This is what it says in Jehoshaphat in verse 3. Feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. The first step you need to take is come to seek the Lord. Find out what he says. We're going we're gonna to see that too in a little bit. You know, once you hear God's voice, once you hear what he says in his word, that creates faith in you, the faith enough to get through anything. Once you receive that word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So he goes on to say, they came to seek the Lord, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he says a bunch of stuff to those guys. But look down at verse 9. It says, if disaster comes upon you, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction. And you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you will not, who you would not let Israel invade. In, in other words, he's kind of looking at God and saying, why did this happen? But after he says all that, and I think this is really good to clear the air. I don't think it's bad for you to go to God and say, why did this happen? What is up with this? You know, you might not get an answer. When my sister was killed, I never got an answer. But I'll get one. I'll get one. When I get to heaven, I'm going to get one. That's going to be the first question I ask. What happened with that? You know what I'm saying? You might not get an answer, but I don't think it's wrong to ask. God is very understanding, and you know what? He can handle it. Any question you have, he's got an answer, right? He can handle it. So he asked a question. Look down at verse... Uh, Verse 12, it says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now, this is a real key to walking in the Word because you have to admit that you are the weak part of the relationship you have with God. You have to admit that you have no power to overcome the stuff you face. I have no power to make this work. I just don't have the power to do it. But you do have the power. 
And the scripture says, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Not, not be strong in yourself in the power of your might. Be strong in his power. The Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. Why can you do that? Because his power overrides anything. Amen? And there are a lot of scriptures like that. God is a master at, if we'll recognize our weakness and create that weakness vacuum that's there, we know we're the weak part. And I prayed this prayer hundreds of times. Lord, I know I'm the weak part of this equation and I need your strength and your power. And you create that vacuum. He will fill that with his strength. So you're no longer walking in your own strength. You're walking in his strength. How many would rather have his strength than yours? Sure. And if you have that, you can overcome anything. So he admits, they admit their weakness here. And then it goes on to say, Now all Judah with uh, their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And I only read that verse just to prove to you I could get all those names right. <laughs> the only reason. And he said, listen, all of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. How would you like to be in this position right here where you receive this word from God? Overwhelming odds. And he says, don't worry about it. It's not yours. I'm good. I'll do it. I'm good. Don't even worry about it. Right? What do we look at when we do this? We look at the storm, don't we? I mean, we look at the circumstances, and they're bad sometimes. And we get our eyes on the wrong thing. Now, we can come to kind of and talk and like talk to somebody and get counsel and they'll, you know, just keep your eyes on the right thing and blah, blah, blah and get you through it. What if we did that from the very beginning? The very beginning. Anything happens. You focus on the Lord right away. You know, there's a guy, a king, and his name was Asa in the Bible. King Asa, the Bible says, look to the physicians first instead of to the Lord, and he died. He was diseased in his feet, and we don't know what he had. But he died because he looked to the wrong place first. Now, we're not against doctors. Thank God for doctors, right? A lot of us are alive because of doctors. But why don't we go to the Lord first? We usually go to the Lord last. When, you know, this is this, this <laughs> I get this little statement all the time because people will go, well, I did this, and I went to this specialist, I went to this, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't misunderstand me. But then they'll say, all I can do is pray. Well, why weren't you doing that from the beginning? All you can do is pray? No, start with that, right? I'll tell you what, you would eliminate a whole bunch of problems in your life if you just prayed first and listened to the Lord and let him lead you through that, right? You would avoid a lot of problems, but normally, we don't. Normally, we start with the wrong thing on the wrong end. Start with the Lord. Um, it says, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's the position I want to be in. The battle is not mine, it's the Lord's. It's His power, not my power. 
You will not need to fight. I'm in verse 17. I dropped down one verse. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed down before the Lord, worshiping him. Start with the right thing. Verse 20 says, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his, pros in his prophets, and you will prosper. In other words, just believe in the word. Believe in the word. Believe in the Lord your God. What he has said, he is trustworthy. Amen? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's faithful. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not going to lie to us. He's going to tell us the truth. And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now, this is backward right here. I mean, but that's God's economy. He does everything backward. I mean, we don't think in his terms. We think in our terms. But his ways are way higher than our ways. And so he doesn't do things the way we think he should do, right? We think he should do this. Have you ever been there? Lord, let me tell you what you should do in my life. Let me tell you what I want. How many have ever done that? Well, I want you to do this. How do you know that's right? I mean, he sees from a whole different perspective than you do. He knows what's good. It's like when a, you know, a kid says, I want this. And you're like, no, you can't have a shotgun at five years old. Not good. Not good. Right? We know because we've just been around longer. Well, he's been around a lot longer than we have. And so what he says and what he does is way higher than what we do and what we say. And I said his, his economy is backward. He, he says stuff like, you know, if you forgive, first you win. Well, we don't think that way. We, we hold things against people. He says, if you want to receive from me, then you give. Well, we don't do that, or we don't think that way. We think hoard, or we think savings account, and, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just not the way God thinks. He thinks totally backward. So he puts the praisers out in front of the army with no armor, no swords, no spears, no nothing. And they're out there praising between the army of God and the army of the Ammonites and all those other guys, Moab and all those guys. It just doesn't seem to make sense. But remember, they had a word from God that they weren't going to have to fight in this battle. So the praisers were out front. This is what they said, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And verse 22 says this. Now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, praise, the Lord set ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Now you can read the rest of this story on your own. The cool part is, these guys got all the spoil that was left by these big armies. And God did all the fighting for them. They never lost one life. They actually turned on each other. The Bible says the Lord defeated them, but they, 
you know, there was confusion and they turned against each other and they destroyed each other. They were gone by the time the armies of Judah got there. Wouldn't you like to live your life like that? Wouldn't you like to live your life like that? You praise God and praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the afternoon, praise Him in the evening. That becomes a part of your life. And by the time you get to the battle, the battle's over. Battle's won. And all you have to do is pick up the spoil. Again, that's God's economy. That's the way He does stuff. He's not like us. Amen? So, this is what I want you to do. I want you to start thinking in these terms. And you can't do it without gaining knowledge. But I want you to start thinking in the terms of what does the Word say? What does the Bible say? If we're Christians, we live by the Bible. We live by what the Word says. What does the Word say? Research. Find out what the Word says about your finances and about your relationships and about all the other stuff that you face all the time. What does the Word say? There are hundreds and hundreds of promises that are directly to you. What does it say? And apply that to your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We believe that it's true. We want to walk in it. We don't want to just hear about it. We want to walk in it. We want your power and strength in our lives, Lord. We don't want to stand on our own. Thank you for your loving kindness and tender mercies. We give you praise and honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. We live in a world of storms, of sin and suffering. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. In life, it's hard to get our bearing when we're in the middle of the storm. We have to get out of the storm into that safe place, that refuge of God. I remember when I was learning how to play music and I was told, it's better when you get lost to pause, stop, figure out what's going on and then re-enter the song rather than just blindly muddling about until I figure something out. God is our refuge. We have storms in life and there are times oftentimes, when we need to stop, retreat into that refuge that is God, get our bearings again before we head back out. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire because the battle is not yours. It's God's. The battle is not yours, it's God's. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. 
the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. Church, if you'll stand and pray with me today. God, you are our refuge. That present help in those times of need, God. Help us to retreat into your presence, God, when the storms of life seem too strong. God, help us to retreat into your presence, into that refuge daily. Regardless of those storms, Lord, help us to be people who are known as those who are in the presence of God, who seek that, that shelter and that refuge that we can only find in you. Be with us this week, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, church, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming. We are going to break down the chairs, so if you've got a few extra minutes, we're going to start stacking them, and we're going to get them out of here for the night to shine. <laughs>